لكل شيء إذا ما تم نقصان فلا يغر بطيب العيش إنسان بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صلي وسلم على نبينا محمد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته عليكم السلام ورحمة الله وبركاته fellow travelers welcome to the caravansrai we are your three hosts Bilal Umar and Sadman Thanks for joining us on this lovely summer day for our inaugural episode. Uh, for our first episode, we will be doing a book review uh, of the book Sustenance of the Soul by Imam Balkhi, translated by Professor Malik Badri. And now I'll turn things over to Sadman, our resident Canadian and future MC, uh, who will give you guys a brief bio about who we are and why we decided to do this podcast. And most importantly, why you should trust us and listen to us. So take it away, Sadman. Jazakum Allah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So this is the inaugural episode of the Caravansarai. Um, the three Shabab, me, uh, Brother Omar and Brother Bilal. We decided to uh, bring about a podcast for uh, youth our age and maybe even older to you know discuss topics and ideas about Islam and things that are just uh, you know modern contemporary or even things from the past so that we can um, have a more general concept and you know in-depth concept of things in our Deen and this is our first episode like I said before and it'll be a little rocky and it'll be a little shoddy but inshallah with time we will get better and my co-hosts are smiling so um, <laughs> hopefully this is a little bit more casual than our previous attempts um, but we all met uh, at the Islamic Inter- International Islamic University of Malaysia brother Bilal was doing his masters in usul al-fiqh and brother <laughs> and brother Omar was doing <clears throat> his bachelor's in usul al-din but he also did a little bit in uh, Arabic if I'm not mistaken in the department of Arabic and right now I'm currently there uh, doing a, a bachelor's in Quran or Sunnah. Uh, and yeah, so the idea of this podcast really just came out from us being together one day and just chilling in uh, Brother Bilal's car. And I don't remember which one. I don't know if you guys remember, but it was one of us who just said we should do a podcast. And, you know, I think that's how it started, right? If I'm not mistaken. Actually, um I've got to be, be honest with you, Sadman. Uh, it was actually Bilal and I were thinking of doing it alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess yeah, we're going to get that little part out. Huh? <laughs> that's, that's kind of true. That's kind of true. Uh, and I, just, and I, then I was just... like, don't we know someone named Sadman? Shouldn't we bring him <laughs> Oh, yeah, that guy. So. So so I'm, 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 I'm we love you. you. Yeah. So the comedic relief uh, has been passed down to me. So once you get bored of the two old guys, uh, you can just listen in for a little bit of uh, <laughs> two Saturday old guys. Night. <laughs> a few moments ago, he said uh, the youth, and you included Umar in that category. So we're basically youth now. So, but then shots were being fired, so I had to shoot some back. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, now our uh, yeah, so now our uh, audience knows something about us. So sorry, Salman, continue to mean to cut yeah, you off. No, no, I'll just wrap it up. Alhamdulillah, Allah gave us the ability to. Um, get this book review together which took us a little bit of time but alhamdulillah now we're here and inshallah not only can you guys benefit but hopefully we can benefit for ourselves uh, for the future and for the future of the people Jazakallah khair yeah yeah that was a nice intro Salman you made it sound really nice thank you for doing us too much justice there Jazakallah khair but now uh, we're going to jump kind of straight in uh, to the bio of the author, not the translator. Uh, so for those of you that are listening, the author of the book is uh, Imam Balkhi. He was born in the year 850 and he passed away in the year uh, 934, Allah And he's the author of the book here, uh, Sustenance of the Soul. And he was considered one of the greatest scholars uh, of his time. And he was a polymath, really, uh, writing books on uh, philosophy, mathematics, history, the Islamic sciences, so on and so forth. And uh, it's estimated that he wrote approximately 60 works, most of which unfortunately are uh, non-existent. And uh, he was a student of knowledge, uh, and he traveled to many places, including, of course, uh, Baghdad, which was one of the centers of Islamic learning at that time. 
and he studied with uh, Imam al-Kindi, who was considered to be uh, the father of Islamic uh, philosophy. Now, there's an interesting note about his life. We know that when he was there as a younger man, uh, well, actually, we don't know this for sure, but it, 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 it's kind of suggested that he might have deviated from uh, kind of mainstream Sunni Islam uh, and kind of become engrossed in Shia or Mutazila philosophies. Uh, so there's some debate about that, but, you know, uh, we know that by the end of his life, he was firmly on kind of the Sunni manhaj, and so there isn't really any doubt on what he died on, but there might have been kind of a confusing period in his younger years, which we all go through, so we can forgive the imam for that. Um, and uh, there isn't really that much on him on the in the English language, and this is really all I managed to find. I don't know if you guys want to add anything, if you guys feel like I missed anything, or if you guys found out uh, anything else about his life, I'll give it to you guys. No, that, that was about it. I mean, we can sure take a lot of benefit from his life. You know, we don't have to focus on those subtle side side up points that are a bit deviant. Um, that we don't even have, we haven't really seen much of, other than one thing I think in the book that is yeah, questionable. But other than that, it's it's full of gems. So it's, it's not a means to neglect the author or the MM entirely. Right. Also, I think just one point that he comes up with a lot of these ideas before a lot of people. So this is something he discovers or uh, not invents, but finds a way into the mind of the or the soul, the mind and the soul of a human being before you know science even had a grip on anything. Yeah, really a pioneer in his field, and we're definitely gonna touch on that later, really uh, in the book of you. But... Uh, Sadma, do you want to kind of give us a bio about the translator of the book? Right, so Bismillah. Um, the translator of the book uh, is Dr. Malik Badri, and uh, he is actually a professor at the university that we all met at. Um, currently, he is not in Malaysia, right, if I'm not mistaken. He is in Turkey. Um, but <clears throat> Professor Dr. Malik Badri was born in Sudan in 1932. He obtained a series of, uh, he, like he had many educations throughout his life, some being in Beirut, in America, um, in London. So the, the the doctor was everywhere. And now currently he is teaching and is the acting dean of his, in, in the International Institute of Islamic Thought and Civilization of the International Islamic University of Malaysia. So by his um, skills, we, have, we are able to read the book in English today. Yeah, alhamdulillah. And if I could add one one point, that uh, he's a pioneer in the field of uh, Islamic psychology. So it makes sense that he would translate this book because the book's content is really dealing with uh, how a Muslim, or really anyone for that matter, should uh, rein in their thoughts, right, control themselves, so on and so forth. Right. So we can um, go into a brief overview of the book, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So this this was actually a manuscript. This book, Al Masalih Al Abdan Wal Anfus, in the Turkish Library, the Hagia Sophia Library, um, and it was reproduced by a Turkish slash German scholar uh, by the name of Fuat Ziskin, um, who was who was actually quite renowned in history and science. I'm sure Bilal's heard of him. Um, I actually so- haven't. <laughs> 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 well, yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not too well known in English speaking world actually. But um yeah, so Dr. Malik Badri came across this manuscript and he published it and translated it. And what's so amazing about it is about one thousand over a thousand years before um European Western advancements in psychology, Imam Balkh is written he treatments to mental illnesses um, way before our time, you know, that are that are current or they're consistent with modern modern science, sorry to say. So he talks things about um, cognitive behavior therapy, for example, you know, this idea of um, challenging bad thoughts, negative thoughts in your mind and being positive. He talks about having an external psychologist to help you he talks about exposure therapy if you're fear if you're scared of something to slowly and gradually get uh, yourself accustomed to it he classified depression into something 
that's more mild and happens because of the events that happen around us and also into something that can be innate, can be almost genetic. Of course, they didn't have this idea of genes at his time, but he said uh, like an inborn disposition. And um, his book, like we mentioned earlier, is just just filled with gems. And uh, He talks a lot of the time about challenging these negative thoughts that we have in our mind, and these thoughts lead to these mental illnesses. And if I could sum it up, a lot of it is being positive, having positive thoughts, um, because and these because those negative thoughts they actually lead to the mental illnesses he talks about, and the main four main mental illnesses he talks about are, are fear, um, sadness, depression, anger, and um, waswas or obsessions. Um, the the this idea of uh, being positive. You know, it's it's a very very important idea in in Islam as well. Um, we know that being positive, it it has to do with what we are thinking about our Creator, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So when when we are being so negative all the time, we're actually throwing accusations at Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala um, for what He has done to us. A'udhu Billah. When Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala tells us He's Ar Rahim. And we start having negative thoughts. Those negative thoughts are actually directed to the creator of everything that that's happening to us. And so, we are saying, "Awwadillah, that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is not Ar Rahman, or He's not Al Hakim. He's not the most wise in the wisdom that He's decreed." So that's why the, these negative thoughts are so dangerous, and they have this. Not only, not only are they dangerous in terms of. Um, our belief with Allah and our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but they have also this negative effect on our mental health which uh, can, destroys our lives and has destroyed these mental issues have destroyed many people's lives and um, and mental illnesses have, have also been shown to uh, produce physical illnesses or at least help physical illnesses get worse and accelerated so that that's a brief uh, rundown of the book. Maybe we can uh, talk more about it later on, but I just wanted to sort of get that out of the way, inshallah. First, no, that was a nice uh, summary of the book. Thank you for that, uh, Omer. But also, you know, at the end of the book, sorry, at the end of your little summary there, you mentioned that how having negative thoughts can impact you negatively physically. Well, the Imam talked in the book how positive thoughts can impact your body positively. Mm. Right. So I just wanted to add that point uh, yeah. as well. But he actually mentions as well the Imam that we should have like a like a container or like a chest of good thoughts ready with us that we've prepared earlier, so that when something negative that ha- does happen, we can just reach into that chest, pull out a positive thought, and use it to challenge um, that negative experience that we had. All right, and because these these thoughts are like seeds, you know, if if we if we don't cover them while they're while they're seedlings, they they'll grow into a tree and then into a forest, and then it's much harder to control them. So getting them while they're while they're young, while they're fresh. Sorry if I can interrupt. Actually, you don't want to cover a seed because it'll grow. So you want to nip it in the bud, right? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. uh, If I could add a point there, I, yeah. I, I think he's referring to good thoughts, right? You're referring to good thoughts, right? I'm more like, well, yeah, actually, to both good and bad thoughts. Like, if it's a bad thought, if you don't destroy it while it's small, it's going to grow into a fire. That's right. probably a better example. Uh, but a good thought also, yeah, you, you would want to promote those good thoughts so they turn into actions. Um, they turn into beliefs. Right. You know, they turn into uh, good thoughts about Allah. And Allah Subhanahu also says, I'm with my servant as he thinks of me. So if someone's going to have negative thoughts about Allah, that Allah is not merciful, then Allah might treat him that way. You know? Right. So that's very important for us to have those, all the ways of positive thoughts about Allah and also about our fellow Muslim brothers. Yeah, I just want to add a small point um, about having positive thoughts. Um, I was reading recently uh, uh, an article about the 100 most influential photos. And there was a photo, uh, one of the photos was there was a girl or a boy, very skinny in Sudan. 
was trying to get food. But while getting food, like she fl- fell and slipped. And then there was a vulture in the back behind this girl. So I don't know if, Bill, I think you've heard of this uh, picture or oh, no, no. person who took it. So yeah. uh, I think Omar, yeah. So he takes a, yeah, he takes the picture. He takes a picture. And then it gets really famous, and then people started saying, "Why didn't you help the per- the girl, right?" And he was told earlier to not help these people because they were diseased. So what he did was he stopped um, the vulture. So he just tried to make it go away. And then after a year of all of this, he ended up committing suicide. And he, in his suicide note, he wrote like, "You know, I couldn't deal with the thoughts of people talking about this and saying that I didn't do anything." But in actuality, people when I was you know, prohibited to, and and it just goes to show that your thoughts really end up taking you down mm-hmm. a path that you might regret. Like if he knew that Allah um, provides for everybody, and even if it's not in this life, maybe for that child, the ticket to Jannah was exactly that. So then he yeah, wouldn't have right. thought like that. So thoughts really play a big role. That's why right. yeah, we have to have the faith and belief in Qadr, and that um, everything has yeah. been decreed. Exactly. Actually, if I could make a point here, uh, which kind of uh, intersects with uh, what you guys are both saying. So, uh, Imam mentions that we should use positive thoughts to combat negative thoughts, but how do we develop these positive thoughts? The Imam says that when you're in a state of tranquility, when nothing is wrong, you should think of happy, happy thoughts and, and in a way store them or deposit them in your mind so that when you do encounter frustrating situations or you know sadness or anger in your life, you can reach back into the recesses of your mind draw these thoughts out and use them to combat the negative ones. So for example, had this had this photographer maybe used this method, he could have, you know, still been alive today if he had kind of had that treasure trove of good thoughts that were in the back of his mind, you know, when he was, you know, going undergoing all the stress, he could have used it to combat the stress and then uh, still be alive today. So Exactly. Yeah. So Islam gives us actually these tools to to deal with these issues. Um for this unfortunate photographer, I don't know if he had a religion, but even in Christianity and Judaism and in other religions, they, they give us these tools to deal with these negative right. events and, and thoughts, um, especially with Islam. But the atheists, you know, you really wonder how they could deal with any calamity that hits their lives. You know, this this world is their paradise. It's their Jannah. If something happens, if a loved one dies, they what do they have to to cope? You know what what terrors go on in their minds? You know what keeps them up at night? You know they have no Allah, no merciful Allah to think about, no qadar to. They have no anchor you know, that this had to happen. No anchor exactly. So that's one of the many many problems with atheism, which you know is gaining ground today, unfortunately, and uh, something people should think about as well. I mean, to, to touch on that, if I can give my two cents, uh, I think we've discussed before about uh, the book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, right? We, right? we talked about this before and how if you live for something uh, other than yourself, uh, in a way, it's it's easier to live, right? And so even if you're an atheist, let's say, you can live for, you know, try to, you know eradicating poverty or, you know, sheltering the homeless or you know whatever suits your fancy and so if you're living for someone else life becomes a lot easier but if you're living only for yourself this self-consumption will destroy you i mean i think america is probably the best example of this one of the wealthiest countries in the world uh and it has one of the highest suicide rates in the world these people have everything right people in this country have everything and yet it's not enough because they're living for themselves and eventually you know that leads them down a path of uh terrible things and so at the end of it, they just take their lives. But if you're living for someone else, even if it's taking care of your elderly parents, or like I said earlier, you know, trying to eradicate poverty or shelter the homeless, uh, that gives you a little bit of oomph to keep on living, right? So, uh, but Muslims, we have the greatest kind of incentive because we live for God, right? So Yeah, yeah. So even that, that's sort of like a coping mechanism atheists might use. Um, but then again, they are living for themselves. They're living for their own happiness. You know, they the helping of others is not even sincere, you could say, because they're just helping them so that they can get rid of their own demons. Do you know what I mean? So I would, I would, I'm sure Perhaps. that would help. But yeah, 
but I see that only as a, a not a complete solution to the problem, the mystery of life, really, you know? Yeah, yeah, true. I, I believe that this this discussion in particular would require like volumes of books and hours and hours of lectures, but if anyone else wants to touch on what else is kind of mentioned in the book, so we've, we've talked about, you know, a brief overview of the book, right? So I guess we could uh, jump into um, a little bit of what he talks about in terms of obsession and uh, ties it directly with what we've been talking about thoughts. Um, and I think um, human beings has we have the capability to you know constantly think about the same thing over and over and over again. And this I think the Imam tries to tie in with was was that um, the fact that we obsess over things, um, is is a direct connection to the shaitan, right? And uh, this, I think he, I don't think he particularly says it's OCD, right? If I'm not mistaken, but he kind of um, hints towards it. And as today, what we know as OCD, um, the Imam he touches upon it, and this is profound because uh, many people they can't make wudu without second guessing over and over yeah. and over again. Wudu is the, the crux and the cornerstone of our deen. Without wudu, you don't really have anything. So this is uh, really a mental health problem that I, I'm not actually sure about what he says. I think he says positive thoughts uh, to combat it, right? Or exactly, I'm not sure what he said. Yeah. Um, to cure. Yeah, so he, 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 that's the main thing. He says employ counter thoughts. Uh, storing positive thoughts at times of peace and ease and then using them when those obsessions appear, you know, reaching okay. in and getting those positive thoughts out. Um, one thing he mentioned as well about obsessions and waswas, he said, uh, avoid being alone. You know, right. he's saying being being alone yeah. is, is not a good thing to do unless you're being like busy. a scholar and research or something. Yeah, get get busy, you know, because as, mm-hmm. as, as soon as you're alone, you've just got your own thoughts and shaitan, you know, and they can just easily eat away at you. So, but once you're with people, you're distracted. But I mean, just one small point I want to bring out. I, I feel like in our world today, we run away from ourselves. We're always trying to find something to distract us, distract ourselves from thinking by ourselves. You never like put somebody in a room; they won't last with themselves for an hour. They'll mm-hmm. need something to. Our 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 society is so super like, hyper stimulus. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so yeah, yeah. So I think maybe the reason, well, this is just my two cents, why we have we can't stay alone is because we don't have enough positive thoughts and we have too much negativity. Um, Ooh, that's a good point. And yeah, and so nothing good will comes with us in our contemplations and our ponderings. And uh, shaitan these days obviously has a much firmer. <sighs> hold on us as well with all the sins that we've allowed into our homes, into our families, and that's just prevalent in society. So Shaitan and his and his soldiers are probably stronger than they've ever been before. And uh, you mix that all together and being alone and you've got your own negative thoughts, it probably doesn't end good for most people. So I guess avoid being alone, um, but if you try and be with good people, you know, People that are going to give you that positivity, that that Islamic inspiration. Don't be don't be with bad people, you know, because they're just going to take you down the wrong path. Um, and and over time, if you can train yourself to be positive and have those positive thoughts, I think you would find it easier to be alone, uh, to contemplate, to meditate. All these important things that are part of our religion as well. So yeah, um, are are affirmations anything in? I don't know if you guys heard affirmations. Are they any solid? Like, do they help or are they just? Uh yeah. So affirmations is like uh, when you keep repeating to yourself, I believe, um, a good statement, a good thought. Like, I can do this. Right. You know, right. I'm not scared of just giving this public talk, and you keep repeating to to, to yourself. So doing this, I think podcast. affirmation. Yeah, so I think an affirmation really—it's just—it's—it's it's a thought in in itself. It's a positive thought. That's what it is, you know. 
So by repeating that affirmation, you're repeating that positive thought. Sorry? Which is essentially what the imam is advocating for, that, you know, if you if you don't yeah. think you have the ability to do something or, you know, something is troubling you in your life, then you kind of shore up yourself with positive thoughts. So saying it out loud is just a manifestation of that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say they have experience, yeah. But I just wanted to make like a qualification with affirmations, though, um, because when you, you see a lot of it on YouTube and stuff and yeah, a lot of the, the pseudoscience or something like this. Yeah, even I think in it plays a part with psychologists and their treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but in the West, it's got a lot to do with the with the nafs, with the self, with with the anna that I can do this or I'm strong enough to do this, you know. Uh, and it's a sort of that's not really the approach Islam takes, you know. In in, in Islam, it's Allah who's who's strong enough to help us. Um, and we are weak, right? right, right. And w- without Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's help and support, we're not going to get anywhere. We can't do it, you know. Yeah, but rather, it's it's the words of the nafs and shaitan that I yeah. can do this. And I think that's a big difference with Islam with Muslims is we put our trust in Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, which is still a positive thought, you know. Instead of saying I can do this, <clears throat> I can say Allah will help me to do this. You know, Allah will help me to overcome that. Right. I mean, our dhikr that we do, isn't are these affirmations after, in a way, like you're saying, Alhamdulillah, Subhanallah, Allahu Akbar, multiple mm-hmm. times to realize that, like, indeed, Allah, we praise Allah and to thanks is to Him. And we constantly remind ourselves of this. So, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. So this is ingrained into our daily rituals. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, when we're praying, when we're reciting Quran, this is an affirmation, right? So, right. Yeah, I would agree. Oh, so, sorry, I was kind of laughing. I will explain to my co-hosts. Uh, I was thinking of the SpongeBob episode, I'm Ugly and I'm Proud. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> nah, nah. No. Backfire. Do you want to no, explain no. it? I forgot that episode. What happened? It's one of the earlier SpongeBob episodes where um, uh, I think Patrick thinks he's ugly. No, no, sorry. SpongeBob thinks he's ugly and then Patrick... Patrick Starr becomes his life coach and tells SpongeBob, you have to say, I'm ugly and I'm proud. And so SpongeBob goes around saying, I'm ugly and I'm proud. I'm ugly and I'm proud. So the more, the more you know, I apologize for that. So we should be secure with ourselves and then be proud of it. Yeah, yeah. Also, if I could add to a point that Omar made earlier about uh, people being alone now and not having kind of the mental fortitude uh, or the capacity to take that kind of isolation and or that time they have by themselves and use it constructively. I wonder if this is the case because we're so used to being on the receiving end of digesting information, whether it's on you know YouTube or we're watching TV or we're listening to something that when we're alone, we almost in a way don't know how to think for ourselves because throughout the day we're constantly being told things. And so when we're finally by ourselves and have the time to actually think, we just don't know how to do it anymore. Yeah. So We're consumers 24-7. Exactly. Basically, exactly. yeah. I mean, and on top of that, we can't be critical either. Right. You know, we just accept. Ooh, a lot of that's the stuff that's that a very we... good point, especially in this day yeah. and age. Yeah. Uh, I was actually reading a, an article about how in Thailand, um, the monarch there, they're they're trying to place a historic like every class. There's a mandatory amount of hours you need to uh, study history. So they're pushing this agenda of how it's monarch-based and the Thai society is all towards the king. And the author was arguing that the ability to critically think has been taken out in our, in our, even in our education system, which to the point where we're just, we're just becoming subjects and um, just uh, regurgitating what we have learned. And it's never think for yourself. There's always multiple choices. There's only one right answer. It's never, okay, there could be two or three possible answers and think for yourself and maybe you'll come up with a better uh, solution even. So this is a problem actually of our, of our, I think, forever and even our generation even more. We're just constantly wanting the next fix of, okay, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Yeah. So, yeah. True. And this kind of feeds into one of the uh, other subjects of the book is uh, suhbah, like companionship. And he specifically 
<clears throat> excuse me, the author specifically mentioned that mentions it with regard to leadership. So if you're a leader, he says it's more important that you have good uh, companionship because if you make a mistake, you're going to affect the lives of potentially millions of people, right? And so he, he makes so, it a point uh, to say that don't surround yourself by yes men, uh, surround yourself by people who are actually wise and that are uh, going to correct you. And then he goes on in the book to kind of talk about how uh, leaders should also be merciful as well, right? And that if one of uh, kind of the people under the rule makes a mistake, that they shouldn't be so heavy-handed and that they should kind of hate the sin and not the sinner, so to speak, and think of a time where they may have committed a sin or a mistake and wanted to have uh, wanted forgiveness and then maybe got it. And so they should kind of draw on that thought. Maybe they should keep that in the back of their mind uh, whenever uh, they make a mistake or whenever they see someone make a mistake, they can bring that out and, uh, you know, forgive the person in front of them, whoever made the mistake. And we all know that a gentle leader uh, has more away with people than a stern one, right? So I, I like the fact that he mentioned that in the book. That was a very astute point he made. Yeah, that's a, that's advice for all of us. Um, we shouldn't be arrogant. And one of the ways we can counter arrogance in ourselves is if we see someone doing wrong, you know, remember your own sins, you know, and look, exactly. look at the good in that person, look at the good in that person. And um, if you, you we, we hate the sin, we don't hate the person. That's that's another important point, you know. So we shouldn't look down on people. The Prophet said anyone with an atom's worth of arrogance in his heart will not enter Jannah. So that's that's very scary and um, it's very crucial to to be as humble as we possibly can to avoid uh, such a bad end. Also, if I could add another point here, you know, he, he mentions this with regu- with regards to uh, like political leaders, people who have uh, dominion, right? But in a way, we're all kind of the leader of our own life or we're going to be the leader of a small family. So this will come into play then when your spouse makes a mistake or your children make a mistake, you should be forgiving, right? Look at the, right. look at the sin, not the sinner, right? And you, and you should also uh, seek counsel from them, right? If they're wise and they have a good point, don't be afraid to take it and don't just look for people that are going to go along with your opinion, right? Because that could potentially destroy your family. Mm. For sure. Um, one thing that also, the oh, Imam yeah, go ahead. Sorry, just one more thing on, on this uh, for me, Matt. Uh, he mentions that, uh, you know, one of the reasons you should seek um, external uh, advice is because man oftentimes doubts himself or doesn't trust himself. So if you hear it from someone else, good information, uh, you're more likely to listen from it, listen to it. Even if, you know, on your own, you've come to a good conclusion, maybe you're doubting yourself, but if someone else says it and they're wise and you trust them, then... Uh, you're more likely to uh, to listen to it. But yeah, sorry, Sabman, I'll pass it on to you. No, I just uh, wanted to make a, a little bit more practical for the listeners and myself, actually. When, when Omar was saying at the beginning that have a chest full of positive thoughts and use it um, in the face of negativity, could you give an example of what you mean to be more specific? Yeah, sure. Because like this, um, in theory, it makes sense, but in reality, what is it actually like? How does it manifest and look like? Yeah, sure. Okay, so let's deal. with the the Imam talks about four main mental illnesses or symptoms. Let's talk. We already talked about was was, which is those negative, obsessive thoughts. Let's have a look at another one: um, depression or sadness, for example. If a person is um, and this is not depression that is sort of innate in you, that's sort of genetic. But let's say you're suffering from a, a calamity in your life, right? Um, or you're foreseeing a calamity that's about to happen, like you have an elderly parent and then they've got a sickness. Uh, you you want to have separate some time where you're in a good state of mind, um, you're peaceful. Maybe you can do it with an external guide, a friend, and start challenging the, the fears that are going in your mind or, or the depression or the sad thoughts, right? So you're sad that you're going to lose your parent, for example. All right. So what's a positive thing? All right. He's, inshallah, my, my parent's going to go to Jannah. All right. That's one thought. Um 
inshallah, this is going to be an opportunity for me to give sadaqah on behalf of my parent. All right. Um, um, what else? I, I, I think one thing uh, I can talk in personal experience is uh, my grandmother recently died, and one of my uncles, he was saying that, um, I'll have mercy on her. So, one of my uncles I mean, was saying that, I mean, uh, I regret not doing a lot of things. I wish I had done that. I wish I had done this. So maybe in this situation, you could think like, well, now is my opportunity to do the things I wish I did. If she passed, I wish I did. I do that now before she passes. Or he passes. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. So, so you can go. It's an opportunity to spend some quality time with my parent, with, with what I have left. Right. Um, so all, the, all, all these Try and you got to try and think about as many positive thoughts, and it's not easy. That that's a given, right? But I, I'm sure if you spent your time on it, uh, you asked help from others that have been through similar experiences, you could get a good amount of thoughts. And if if you keep your, if you sort of memorize them, keep them in the back of your mind. So when that hit happens, right, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six positive, powerful thoughts to challenge at the same time. And bithnilah, you won't be overtaken by a strong depression that that would harm you and your family uh, on top of the great harm you just suffered. All right, so that's sort of what I, I believe is saying. And and he talks each each of the illnesses. He tries to give some some counter thoughts um to 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 deal with each illness. So like um that was this that was depression. He talks about about depression that depression is going to have a domino effect on your life, right? So you got to think about that. If I stick with this depression, it's going to mean loss in probably my focus at work, in my relationship with my children, with my wife, with my family, right? Um, it's going to not allow me to enjoy my life. It's going to destroy my hope in the future, my motivation to do things. So these are actually positive thoughts, all of these, because they show how bad depression is. So these all challenge that depression, that sadness. They fight it, right? So he's so they're the type of thoughts he also he also says. He also mentions um, listening to music, interesting enough. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? I think... Bilal said something about this one trial run. Right, trial run? We don't need a trial run, man. We are pros. Yeah, we're experts, bro. <laughs> what are you talking we about? Jump, we, jump, <laughs> we jump straight into the deep water, ladies and gentlemen. We don't we don't mince words here. No, but I, think, uh, I can't recall I can't recall my comments to be honest with you if I said okay, anything I, at all. If, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Bilal said that uh, in a clinical or medicinal uh, way, it might be jazz, like it might be permissible. If we're uh, giving it in terms of medicine, I think that's what you said. But I don't want to quote you because your face. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I said that because I'm not. I'm not a sheikh. Uh, and disclaimer: we are not sheikh, and so don't uh, take fatwas from us, please. We're just discussing I mean, like, the content uh, of the book here. If, if, if uh, let's say like marijuana, if it's medicinally given to you, is this haram or halal? Right? You know what I mean? If it's medicine, what are we? Obviously not self-prescribed. We're talking about proper um, there's steps to go through if you want marijuana. You can't just say, yeah, I'm sick, I need some weed. So maybe this is the same case with the music, even though I think the majority scholar would say, yeah, if you're going to self-prescribe, it's a issue. Uh. <laughs> maybe it's uh, my co-hosts are too uptight. And they're scared <laughs> of what people are gonna think of. <laughs> nah, nah. Look, there's there's some music that certainly we shouldn't listen to, but there there might be other ones that, especially someone suffering from depression, that might really help lift in their their mood and their state of mind. You know, as long as it hasn't got anything haram associated with it. Wallahu a'lam. Yeah. But um, yeah. So that that. that for depression, that's one thing a person can do. Just listen to to music to sort of improve their mood at certain times. That's what the Sheikh mentions. Um, he also mentions to have courageous heroes in mind, you know, those 
people oh, that he does. Have, I remember that. Yeah, you know those great heroes that have vanquished enemies, call them into mind. Um, like our very know, own like... Sadman. We're honored to have <laughs> him. Van- vanquisher of demons, Sadman, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. So we all know great personalities have a great effect on us, and when the Prophet Sallallahu was suffering with the, the loss of um i think khadija radiallahu anha and i believe it was abu talib and it was and then the whole his whole tribe was exiled from mecca i believe at that time if i'm not mistaken that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said the story of yusuf alayhi salam you know and we hear all the tribulations he faced from his own family as well so this was the way of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying yani um, or giving a an example, a story like a hero to look up to, which is something we can all um, take advantage of. So to have those courageous heroes in our mind, um, he he says that it can help you with your depression or with your fear, because fear is another illness. He talks about mental illness or symptom, probably a better word. He talks about that right. can help give you that positivity, that lift up, that motivation to to challenge also, whatever it is you're going through also with regards to motivation he mentions something pretty interesting he mentions the use of uh, fortune tellers to kind of uh, uplift your spirits i don't know what you guys think about that oh yeah that's look, that's clearly a no-no <laughs> yeah, it's clearly a no-no but it's, it's definitely pretty clear. the most interesting uh, thing in the book in terms of yeah, you know yeah. what is your eye right 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 oh well, what does he specifically say about this because we're just saying, I don't think the readers have read the book, so I don't know if they... I mean, I actually have the quote here. It says, uh, and obviously this is the translation, Now, if our description of this profession is accurate, then its judgment as to one's age, fortune, happiness, or other aspects should be taken seriously and optimistically. So it sounds like what he's saying here is that if they tell you something good, use that to make you happy. If they tell you, you know, you're going to make a million dollars tomorrow, you know, hey... That's a good thought, right? Why not take it and run with it if it gets you out of your depression? Obviously, that's wrong, but for whatever reason, he mentioned it uh, yeah. in, in his book. And keep in mind, uh, maybe he wrote this book when he was kind of going through that confused phase, and so he mentioned this off offhandedly. It's also possible maybe he didn't come across the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ explicitly forbade going to fortune tellers. Um, oh, that's a possibility, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at, th- at those times, it was much harder for all hadith to be sort of... There wasn't a, a textbook Bukhari that you could just jump online or go to your local library. And get out, um, I mean, you had to travel for hadith, you know. Uh, we all heard about Man Bukhari traveling miles for one hadith. So maybe he wasn't a muhadith. Um, maybe it wasn't known in his in his city at the time the problems of fortune telling and going to wizards and witches but yeah so that's just that I, that, that was really the only aspect in the book I had an issue with but I mean the he came was... way later after Bukhari right or when was he it was like a third century history I believe was he Bilal you're talking about Bukhari or Imam Balkhi Imam Balkhi yeah so yeah it was, it was about third century history I think uh, Imam Balkhi was just before Imam Bukhari. I think Imam Bukhari was uh, 10th century, if I'm not mistaken. Let's not mislead our audience here. 10th century Gregorian? Got a fact checker on the... Yeah. You know, like the guy Joe Rogan has on the back? Who is... oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. SubhanAllah, they were... Uh... <laughs> Breaking news, folks. Hold on. We don't know our dates. Yeah. No, so um, Imam Bukhari was 9th century, and so was... Uh, so same Imam time. Same time, but Imam Bukhari was actually born earlier, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so it was being compiled uh, as Imam Bukhari was... Live, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah but no, Imam Bukhari, he was uh, sort of more interested in a lot of other different fields and not really hadith per se but from what i believe at least in the introduction in the book i mean he was going into fields like mathematics history geography medicine philosophy 
Uh, that seemed to be more his field of interests. Not quote unquote like the hard Islamic sciences. If we're gonna yeah, use that not, yeah. So not much could we consider him an Islamic scholar or just a general scholar? Uh, well, he did have some, if I'm not mistaken, some some books on Islam on Sharia mentioned in the introduction. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So I believe he was an Islamic scholar as well. Yeah, because uh, I mean, there know, is Islamic a little lack of... Um, um, but there is a little lack of uh, Islamic-related remedies because there is a lot of remedies we have in our deen um, targeted towards state of mind and uh, positive outlooks and all of these kind of things. Uh, certain du'as and other um, and all these things that are mentioned in our deen to combat a lot of the negative thoughts we have. He doesn't really yeah. go into that, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and he also perpetuates the thought, even though it is very important uh, of having positive thoughts all the time. And this seems to be his underlying um, remedy. Mm-hmm. That's a good yeah. point. You know, That's maybe point, it yeah. depends on his uh, who he thought his audience would be. You know, maybe he assumed that his audience maybe would know kind of all the Islamic, you know, sorry, not all the Islamic, I would say all the Quranic and Hadith, all the, uh, you know, how do I, how do I phrase this? Well, um, like maybe they would know the Islamic side of things. And so he wanted to kind of provide a more objective way of looking at it. Right. Yeah, I think you mentioned Bilal as well before. Um, this book—it's actually a medical book. The first oh, yeah, half, first half has to do with sicknesses of the body, and the second half with sicknesses of the mind. So he was probably following the conventions of medical books. You know what I mean? That's true. Probably more to do with treatments, uh, physical treatments and ailments, rather than a more religious text. That's a fair point, yeah. I think uh, we can dive into um, humorism. I think Bilal uh, had a little bit on that. Yeah, on, on, so that's a good segue from medicine. We can talk, into, talk about humorism now. So in, in the book, he mentions uh, uh, a bit on humorism. Sorry, one second here. And for those of you that don't know, uh, humorism is or was a, an ancient system of human biology that classified the body as being composed of four humors, blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and uh, black bile. And illnesses were thought to have uh, been a result of imbalances in the humor. For example, in the book, the author mentions too much black bile can lead to uh, depression, right? And uh, humorism was kind of passed up from civilization to civilization. It, it originally started with the Greeks, and then it was um, transmitted uh onto the romans sorry the romans then took it up and then galen wrote about it and then passed it on it was passed on to the muslims where the muslims picked it up and then it kind of remained uh, a staple science up until the uh 19th uh, 19th century so it, it lasted quite some time from greek times all the way up until uh you know modernity so to speak so that's very interesting and also he mentions in the book something interesting that i think like curly hair was the result of was a physical manifestation of too much black bile, but obviously we know that's not true today. But apparently at the time he believed it. So those of you with curly hair, you might be depressed. I'm sorry, you just don't know. <laughs> so what are some of the specifics he says? <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the specific things he says besides the curly hair thing? I think he uh, says I can't recall. Yeah, I also forgot, but um, something about yellow phlegm, and I actually don't remember, but uh, there was a whole section on that. Maybe Brother Omar. I mean, I found it interesting, the whole section on humorism, because, you know, he was treating it seriously. Obviously, we know it's not true today, but it's just interesting to see that someone would would take this seriously. Uh, But, you know, today we don't give it any credence at all, right? So... That's what kind of fascinated me. Right. Um, right. So I think uh, one thing that we didn't touch upon is 
uh, he does uh, give a lot of remedies to things in this life, but he also mentions that uh, it's unrealistic to assume that you will always be happy, especially in this life. Um, so in this life, the the expectation of being happy and not and avoiding sadness, grief, anxiety, depression, uh, it's it's very unrealistic. And the place where we should expect this is in the next life. And if we make it, inshallah, in Jannah, where, you know, bad or harmful emotions just are taken out. Allah says in the Quran many times that we will take out these feelings of envy, jealousy, anger, depression. And, uh, and this and the Imam says, don't try to be happy all the time. It's un- un- and, and also, you won't always be sad. And I think Sulaiman salam he had a ring. I don't know if this is Sahih, but uh, there was a ring, and it's and the story goes that he wanted a ring um, that would remind him of every situation, uh, something good about Allah. So he wrote on his ring, this this too shall pass. So whether something good is happening in your life and you're overly excited you'll realize that even this happiness will pass and vice versa when you're sad and depressed and angry and all these things you look down and you realize this also will pass so um that is something to take heed of and understand yeah i mean that that's probably the kind of the takeaway at least for me from this book is that this life isn't permanent you're never going to be happy so that's always something you can remember when you face some difficulty. The real life is in here. It's in the next life. We're just passing through, just travelers, right? Exactly. But so yeah, gentlemen, what are your? Uh, do you want to? Do we want to make any more final points, or we just want to give our final comments, kind of on the book now? Um, just a final point, guys. On the um, the man mentions the roots. One of the roots of um, all these harmful emotional uh, illnesses or symptoms is anxiety or gram, uh, sort of like a, a sadness or a worry. And that was interesting because that's consistent with modern modern science as well these days where, where they say a lot of these um, like anxiety and mood disorders um originate from stress so that was just an interesting correlation that the the man also made right i think uh one small point we missed out is that uh, one of the treatments he gives for sadness and depressions to get out and do activities that might uh stimulate um happiness like you know playing a sport uh, walking uh, eating good food seeing uh you know, going out to the park, things that uh, increase dopamine. Uh, but he specifically specifically says, don't make a routine of recreational activities because this diminishes its level of enjoyment and hence no longer has the physio- physiological or psychological functions that um, it's supposed to give you. And uh, mm-hmm. one thing I think um, we spoke about before was um, a dopamine fast, if I'm not mistaken, right, uh, Omar? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we can kind of talk about the dopamine thing. Yeah, so the dopamine fast, that's sort of a new thing coming up. Um, I came across it on YouTube, actually. So it's this idea where you you have a fast or you stay away from certain pleasurable activities in your life, right? So your Netflix, your even your junk food, your video games, and you say, for one day, I'm not going to touch any of these things. And what that does is now your mind, now that these options are out of your mind, the only option, the only thing you have to do is something productive. So like that assignment that was being waiting on your desk for two weeks or that book you were meeting, meaning to read or um, your resume, which you were meant to freshen up, right? So once you remove these temptatious things from your mind right if that's a word temptatious i'm not sure (laughs) i would just say remove these temptations (laughs) these temptations all right 
but temptations it sounds nice <laughs> <laughs> so once you remove those these temptations from your mind right you have no option but to do what is productive right what's actually going to benefit you so the the sheikh made some statements uh, as sadman mentioned where he, he said yeah use use that recreation as a release right but don't don't end up getting addicted to those recreations or those habits because it is going to affect you in uh, in uh, removing your motivation to do those more in quote productive or boring things that actually really going to benefit you right so um even in islam we have the concept of zuhud which is i guess uh i don't i'm not sh- exactly sure how you would translate it but it's like asceticism. staying asceticism yeah yeah yes. yeah yes, that's a, that's a good one so staying away from sort of the glimmer and glitter of the dunya of the world right and because the world with its temptations right it just sucks you in so by going on these sort of periods of time where you're you're, you're going to say, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to um, involve myself in any of these temptations, right? You're sort of training your mind to move away from them, right? And interesting about what people say about dopamine fast is once they start removing these temptations from their lives, they actually begin to find pleasure in what was originally boring for them, right? So they'll find pleasure right. in that assignment or that book and, and it becomes the substitute for what was before so so the sheikh mentioned about that and i think people should really check it out as well dopamine fast you can just check it on youtube um i've tried it a little bit and um it's it's been beneficial alhamdulillah right i think uh, brother Bilal, <laughs> brother Bilal has been a little quiet this uh, podcast i don't know why i think something's on his mind uh, no, no, I think that mind. I think Brother Bilal is getting married soon. Oh, is he? <laughs> <laughs> Something, Something must be on his mind. Yeah, yeah, no, but uh, I'm here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fully aware. I've said, I've said what I've had to say. I've, I've said what I had to say. I've said what I've had to say. So. You don't think that? I'm more worried about Umar, Umar's cameras, camera angles. What's going on? What's going on there? <laughs> <laughs> Um, one thing uh, I think we didn't miss but didn't mention also is uh, that Allah mentions that there is a cure for everything and he I think the imam stresses this right yeah uh, but I don't know the specifics exactly so as soon as anger or fear or depression or waswas obsession as soon as they take hold they become like a disease an illness and the imam actually equates them to illnesses that's why they're in this med- medical book so for him that that cure is that contemplation with those positive thoughts um and that's why he gives examples of positive thoughts in the book to to tackle each one of those symptoms right, right. so yeah and um that hadith gives us a lot of hope that that these are mental illnesses and that there is a cure out there uh, maybe we haven't found it yet maybe we have to do the research to find it so but if anyone there. yeah exactly so if anyone is suffering from something like you don't lose hope right you keep making dua to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala number one most important number two you speak to people that are more knowledgeable right whether it's doctors, psychologists, Islamic scholars, you know, these days you go and you have access to people from a variety of fields and you should take advantage of that. Um, go out and read, right? You know, I mean, this book was has been around for, for a while, but Muslims probably haven't taken advantage of it as much as they could have, you know. So the knowledge is out there. That's what I'm trying to say. And um, that hadith tells us to have hope to go and search for the for the cure, search for their answer, right? So don't give up. Please, Adman, continue to talk over me. You're doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> keep keep taking Velez's job, yeah. 
we're coming up on an hour here. Actually, we're just over an hour. So why don't we uh, wrap things up for our audience? So what are your last and final thoughts on the book? What do you give it out of 10? Would you recommend it? I think you should start since you're dishing it out like... <laughs> I'm just the now, bro. I'll go last and dish it out. Okay, I'm the MC. Okay. I'm doing this until Sadman gets a mic because currently, for our audience, you guys don't know, Sadman's currently recording with a toaster. So that's why. <laughs> no, we're, uh, Brother Bilal was so quiet because he's hiding the the good stuff for the next few podcasts. So if uh, all the ladies out there wanted to hear more of him, inshallah, <laughs> you'll get you'll get a you'll get a little bit more in the upcoming. Uh, also, if you uh, once we make a Patreon page, if you if you donate, you get the extra, you get the good content. So the extra content. <laughs> you guys yeah. Topless pictures of Bilal, man. Can we go away? But uh, on serious on a serious note, um, I think uh, Bilal really should go first and give us oh. a. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Uh, um, I would recommend this book. I, I wouldn't recommend it as your go-to book for like, uh, you know, uh, psychological counseling. I mean, it, it is a bit dated, but I would absolutely recommend this book as a kind of historical window, a historical piece. You, you get a window into the past and you get to see what, uh, you know, a, a ninth, uh, 10th century scholar really thought about mental health. And it, I think it's fascinating in that regard. It, it does have obviously tidbits here and there about what we can do in this day and age, such as, you know, keeping positive thoughts in the back of your mind, having good role models, being a merciful leader, all those things still apply today. But for me, I think the most interesting part of the book was um, the window it provided into that time period, right? Mm -hmm. And how this man, the, the imam, was, you know, literally centuries ahead of his time. He was mm -hmm. talking about it, something which uh, really wasn't being written about. And it's actually funny. That's what he writes. He said, this isn't being written about, so I'm going to write about it because he says... Mm -hmm. We talk about the health of the body, but he says, and this is a, subhanAllah true, that you'll meet people that don't really have any physical ailments, but everyone will suffer from some kind of uh, mental issue. You'll get sad, you'll get angry, and that can happen literally on a daily basis, whereas you can go your whole life. You know, some people, Allah has blessed them, not a single physical ailment, but not a day goes by where someone doesn't have some kind of mental stress, right? And so he said, it's important in that regard, and no one has written about it, and so I'll write about it. So yeah. uh, that's my two cents. I'll pass it off to one of you guys. Uh, Sadman, you want to go? Or? Yeah, I guess we can save the best for last. Sheikh Omar, I'll go. Uh, I, I think, are we giving it out of 10 or out of 5? Or are we doing that? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll give it out of 10. Uh, because I think that's... Oh, Sadman wants to give it out of 100 for the audience at home. <laughs> out of 100, so I'm going to give two. I'm going to give one out of 10. Let's get our score. I'll give it a, an 8.5. Uh, and out of the 100, it's uh, 85 out of 100. So there you go, Salman. So there we go. The, the ladies, 85 is what the, the boss man says. So that's what we're going to take. Um, <laughs> but for me, alhamdulillah, I think uh, the, the book grew on me after a couple. We've had a couple talks now amongst the, uh, ourselves. And uh, I think I, were, I was more, um, not, not negative, but uh, not willing to take it in. But I think... Over the past couple of weeks and days, I've realized um, the importance of actually having positive thoughts because I think one of my complaints at the beginning was that he talks too much about positivity and that's all he talks about. But in reality, I think um, uh, this is very important and it's glossed over and really to understand what it means to be positive is, is a lifelong goal and lifelong endeavor to be positive and have these thoughts. Uh, it's a training your, your mind, you, you train yourself to be more positive all the time. And we hope Allah gives us the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but Alhamdulillah, I think, uh, like Bilal said, it's a nice piece into the past. But for for specifics, I can't say that word, but for, for specifics, uh, in terms of deen, you're probably not going to find that. Uh, and even scientific uh, knowledge that's up to date, you're not going to find that. But a good general overview of uh, of what psychology is of a, of a person, uh, I think it's it's very nice. It's a good piece. And Dr. Malik Badr, he also has a couple of um, footnotes. I think we didn't mention that. But he puts in a couple of footnotes and he says, okay, here he's a little redundant. Or here this idea is very good. And uh, those inputs from him are very uh, well taken from all of us. And Bilal mentioned this before. He, When Dr. Malik Badr, he says something about 
a specific thing the imam said uh, it's very beneficial um so overall uh, i think last time when we talked about it, i think i gave it a 6.5 or a 6 so i i think i'm going to jump up to a seven and a half now oh, uh, okay not bad <laughs> no, you, re- you realize like Sadman, that it is our goal to invite the author of this the translator of this book onto the podcast if you give the book a 7.5 he's never coming on this podcast you gotta so give it above an you, Badri, we're gonna give you a 10 <laughs> there we go that's better uh, but i mean we're on this show or this podcast we're not lying to the people and we want to give our real opinions right so i don't want to pump something up for no reason uh, no offense to anybody that we're going to talk about in the future, but the truth is the truth, and I'm not going to sugarcoat anything, right? Mashallah, <laughs> mashallah, <laughs> so, uh, look at look at Sadman, our soldier on the straight path, ladies and gentlemen. Like and Jazakallah uh, Khair for both of you for Aiko. bringing me on this journey. And uh, I don't want to get emotional, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Omar, final thoughts. Omar, final thoughts before Salman starts to cry. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess it would probably be psychologists or historians that would appreciate this book more than anyone else. Um, It it does have some apt advice. Um, It's an amazing book in its um, scientific deductions and i would probably agree with bilal and give it a 8.5 out of 10 as well uh, that's 85 and uh yeah if anyone's got some spare time i'd recommend reading it inshallah also uh oh, and, this uh, book we... is free to download yeah oh, i beat you to it Sadman. i'm sorry man fine, you can say it now download. if you want oh, no. it's free to download on amazon.com as an ebook yeah, yeah, and uh, I think that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you, travelers, for stopping by the Caravan Sarai, and we hope you join us next time. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. If you enjoyed your stay at the Caravan Sarai, be sure to subscribe so you will be notified when a new episode is posted. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. We hope you enjoyed your stay with us and learned something new. Once again, thanks for stopping by the Caravan Sarai.